Well, good morning. Do you believe what you just sang a moment ago? Man, I hope you believe that today, because some of you need to hear that, didn't you? Some of you came in here today needing to know that he is your way maker. He is your miracle worker. He is light in the darkness. Amen? And I know that some of you need to know that today. Today, we're going to continue in our series, When Trusting Makes No Sense. Because at the end of the day, and we said this from the very beginning, and I want to reiterate this, there are some times when we feel like God nudging us to do something, or we feel like when we read scripture and we're told to do something, live a certain way, there's just sometimes, the truth be told is this, is that sometimes it just makes no sense. That when God tells us to do things, for example, hey, pray for your enemies or love your enemies. I mean, at the end of the day, when you think about that, they're called an enemy for a reason, right? Right? Anybody got enemies that you have fond feelings for? Right? Nobody, right? So we call it, we put them in the category of enemy for a reason, but yet we're told to pray for them and love them and care for them. And so when you think about it, sometimes trusting God absolutely positively makes no sense. However, we are still under the mandate to trust God. And so the very beginning of the series, the very first week, we talked about what does it mean to trust? What does it really mean to trust? And we said this, that trusting is believing in the reliability or faithfulness and the ability, the strength of God. So if we trust God, we are saying that we believe that God is faithful. He is who he said he is, and he will do all that he's promised he will do. And God is able. He's all in control. That's what trust is. And we talked about the method of trusting. Then last week, we talked about the greatest obstacle to trust. Anybody remember what the obstacle was? You've all slept, right? One of you said it. Say it loud. Fear. Fear. And we looked at a guy by the name of Gideon, and we saw his life at the beginning, how he was loaded with fear, and by the end, this guy no longer was fearful, but he was totally trusting God. And we said we hoped that that would be our story too. So today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking specifically at some areas that we possibly need to trust God in. Some areas that when we look at it and we come to the Bible and we ascertain what's being said, at some point we may say, we think it makes no sense. But we're going to tackle some areas that we as a body of believers, as we as followers of Christ, need to trust God. And so today we're going to begin with the first area, and it's going to be your favorite area. Are you ready? We're going to talk about money, all right? Now some of you, your first time guests are going, great, right? I picked the worst. No, no, no. Actually, you may have picked the best day. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus talked about money maybe more than he talked about anything else. There's more references about money and hell than pretty much anything else in the New Testament. Now, why would Jesus talk about a lot? Because Jesus understood something that we need to understand. If you don't deal with money, if you don't have a proper mindset when it comes to your finances and your money, you will either serve God or you will serve money, but you can't serve both. And some of us are trying to live in that world where we're trying to do both. And Jesus was clear, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. And so we need, my prayer for us today is that we would have a, a full circle roundabout idea of knowing what is a biblical approach to our money. Now, the reason this is so important is because at the end of the day, when I'm done today, if you stay with me, when I'm done today, you're going to be able to understand something about you. You're going to find out whether you are an, you view money as you as, a, as an owner of that money are you as a steward of that money? And you say, Doug, what's the difference? Well, let me tell you what the difference is. You ready? Those of you in the room that view your money as an owner, you say, well, how would I know which one I am? Well, here it is. If when I, as I'm going through scripture, if you feel something inside of you bowing up, you'll probably view your money as you an owner. Because it's personal. Listen, when you talk about money, isn't it personal? 
Talk about money. You know why? Because it's your money, right? You're like, you're talking about my money. About, I mean, it's personal and it's emotional because every one of you in here that have a job, there's no doubt you work hard and you earn that check and what you're paid is probably far under what you're worth. I get all of that. But the way you know if you're an owner or if you're really a steward is by your reaction to how we're going to go through scripture. If you find yourself bowing up, it's probably because you fight being an owner of your money. But if you've got some questions but yet you want a good biblical sound doctrine of what the Bible teaches, and you really have a heart to honor God, you're going to gravitate toward more being a steward and a manager of that money. And only God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. But only God knows your heart. So today, what I want to do is I want to develop a biblical, a biblical idea, a biblical concept on what biblical giving really is. And where in the world do we fit into this? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And most of the times, I, you have a listening guide in front of you. Today, I'm going to ask you to take a lot of notes, okay? There's some things. I just want you to write them down. It may not even be on the screen. I want you to write down because here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to leave today and go, you know what? He's right. I'm good, and let's move forward. The Bible says that you're to test and prove everything through the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go home and pray and say, God, would you make sure you give me clarity on everything that was said today, that you give me understanding in all the verses that were read today? God, would you give me a... a depth to this topic even beyond what I experienced on Sunday morning. I want you to take notes and I want you to take them home and ask the Holy Spirit to move in you and through you on this topic. If you have your Bibles, Matthew or Malachi chapter 3, I want to begin reading verse 6 and I know you just sit down but I'm going to ask you to stand again in honor of reading God's word. If you're glad to be here this morning, say I am. Here we go, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I the Lord do not change. Therefore you children of Jacob are not consumed for the days of your fathers you have not turned aside from my you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them return to me and I will return to you says the lord of hosts but you say how shall i return will man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you it's in your tithes and your contributions you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me and the within the whole nation of you Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so they will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the fields shall not bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all of the nations will call you blessed for you will be the land of delight says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. God, I know today as we jump into your word, it is emotional, it is personal, and some, quite frankly, view it as offensive. But God, would your Holy Spirit just give us grace today? Would your Holy Spirit just move in our hearts today? And may we leave all our presuppositions and leave them at the door. And may we truly desire to know biblically from you what your heart on the idea of giving and tithing is for us today. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as you look at this, I want to kind of go, we're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to go back to verse 6 and 7. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. For the days of your fathers you have turned aside from me in my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, at the very beginning, what we find out is that God says this, Hey, I haven't changed. The theological word is God is immutable which means God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's reminding the nation of Israel, this, these people in, the, in, the, in the, this, this land of Judah, he's like, listen, I've not changed my mind on this idea of giving. I've not changed my mind. 
In fact, God calls out their disobedience in just a moment. But even though he calls out their disobedience, he also offers them an opportunity to be restored. Now, that's important for us. I want to to remind you, even beyond the context of money, that when we come to Scripture sometimes and we read Scripture, we are reminded of what it means to live for Christ. And we are also reminded and maybe called out in the Holy Spirit in our disobedience. But even though he called them out, there was still this way of going, but I still want to be with you. I still want to bless you. And so here's a way back for you. Isn't it good to know that no matter what you do or how far you go, you are never beyond the grace and the love of God? Amen? Some of you have gone pretty far, haven't you? And isn't it great to know that you're never beyond his reach? And so he said, listen, I've not changed my mind. And if there's a way back. And then he says this in the end of verse 7. He says, then you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? And he says this, but you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? It's in your tithes and your contributions or your tithes and your offerings. And they say, hey, we want to return to you. And God says, listen, you can return to me, but here's how you return. Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. And they go, well, God, how are we robbing you? Well, you're robbing me because you're not giving me your tithes and you're not giving me your contributions. The word contribution just means offering. It means things above and beyond the tithe. He said, listen, you were called out to give to me. And if you go back and read the law, you're going to find there's a lot of things they were to give to. And he said, listen, quite frankly, as a nation, you all are robbing me. Every one of you. None of you are being faithful. None of you are doing what I've called you to do. You all are robbing me. And if you want a way back, here it is. You ready? Stop robbing me. Stop it. Now, some of us in the room would go, okay, who in the world would actually rob God? I can tell you who would rob God. People who have a wrong mindset about money. That's the people that rob God. What do you mean, Doug? Well, here's what I mean. People that decide that they are owners of their money rather than stewards of their money are more likely to rob God. You know why? Because it's whose money? Mine, right? If I'm an owner, whose money is it? It's mine. Remember your two-year-old when they play with a toy and a neighbor came over and they snatched it from him and goes, mine! Remember that? Yeah, well, at least that was my kids that did that, right? That's how many of us feel about our money. Who will rob God? It's those who view money wrongly. It's those who look at money and go, you know what? I'm an owner, not a manager, not a steward. And then God tells them the consequences. Look in verse 9 here. He says this, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. In other words, if you keep robbing me, I'm not going to bless you. Now, think about this for a moment. Here's what God's saying. Listen, you want my blessing, right? Yeah, we want God's blessing, right? If you want my blessing... Stop stealing from me. Because I'm not going to bless you if you're stealing from me. I've made it clear. My mind hasn't changed. I've told you exactly what I want from you. My mind hasn't changed on that. But you as a nation, somewhere along the line, decided that your way was better than my way. And you decided you were going to keep all this money for yourself. And you weren't going to tithe. And you weren't going to bring your offerings. Somewhere along the line, you decided you were going to do it your way. And I'm just telling you, if you want my blessing, stop stealing from me. Now, if I ask you a quick question, don't answer, please. Do you think you've ever robbed from God or stolen from God? Most of you would say, well, no. But many of us, if we were honest and took in context what's being said, the answer would be what? Yes, we have. But yet we want the blessings of God, don't we? I do. I want God to bless me. Don't you want God to bless you? But at the end of the day, if we want blessing, there has to be what? Obedience. And so he says, listen, Israel, I've not changed my mind. This is still what's important to me. So stop robbing me or I'm not going to bless you. 
And then here's where we get into the meat of it. And this is where I really want you to start taking some notes. Look with me in verse 10. Because now God gives Israel a command. It's a two-part command. I'm going to break them up. Here's the first part. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, I want to break that phrase up, and I want to talk about two different things. The first command that God gives Israel is this concept. Bring the full tithe. Now, stay with me. Bring the full tithe. A tithe is what? What percentage is a tithe? 10%, right? And Israel was to give 10% to God. There was other offerings they had to give to, but 10% first belonged to God. Now, here's where I think in Christian life and the New Testament and the modern church, sometimes there's questions and there's confusions. And so I, I want to take some time and I just want to unpack this in a way that hopefully will give us clarity on the topic, not confusion. Are you ready? So here it is. Three ways I want to break this out. First of all, we need to realize that as, as we think about the tithe, there was a tithe before the Mosaic law that was given. Before the law. There was a tithe that was given. In fact, you can look this up later in your Bibles. And the first time we see it is in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham goes and he gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, some would say, well, Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. He is, but he was a real person. He was a real priest. I know we don't know anything about him, but in the book of Hebrews, he was the high priest and Jesus is our high priest. So there is an imagery there that Jesus is our high priest, but he was a real priest. And he really took a tenth from Abraham. And Abraham gave him a tenth before the law. There was a tithe. Another example would be in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob promises to bring a full tithe to the Lord. In fact, if you were to translate that Hebrew phrase he's talking about, it's almost this idea that most scholars would believe he's, he's making this pledge to God that for the rest of my life, I'm going to bring a full tithe to you. Every time I get something, God, I'm going to bring it to you. It's a promise that Jacob made to the Lord. And then you've got Genesis chapter 4. This is all before the law, right? All before the Mosaic law. Genesis chapter 4. Where did Cain and Abel get in trouble? With what they brought, right? Who brought the good offering? Not a trick question. Who brought the good one? Abel, the dead guy. Yeah, the dead guy. Yeah. Don't let that be a lesson to any of us, okay? So, so like, if I bring it right, I'm going to be taken out. Well, you know, maybe it could happen. I don't know. That was good. Whoever said that was great. So, and then you got Cain. Abel, was that you, Mandy? That's so wonderful. Okay, so, so, so Abel brought an offering that was acceptable to God, and Cain brought an offering that was not acceptable. We don't know the intricacies of that, but here's what we do know. Before the Mosaic Law, there was something that God placed in the hearts of people that they were supposed to give back something to him out of gratitude from their hearts. In fact, many scholars would even tell you this, and you can look in the book of Leviticus, there's a phrase there that says, they're talking about Abraham, and, and, and I'm sorry, it was actually in Genesis, a phrase that says that, that Abraham honored the statutes and the laws that God had given him. Well, we don't know what laws God gave Abraham, but apparently God told Abraham something about giving because he gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Cain and Abel knew there was something about them that I've got to give something back to God. Here's my point. You need to understand, we need to understand that before the Mosaic Law, we see examples of people giving a tithe back to the Lord. If you're with me, say, I got you. Okay, great. Just this side of the room. This side, pick it up. Here we go. Now, the next thing I want you to think about is not only tithing before the Mosaic Law. I want you to notice this, and you already know this, but there was tithing as part of the Mosaic Law. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says this. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is whose? Is whose? And it is holy to the Lord. So when you study the law of the Old Testament, what you find out is that the law commanded a tithe 
to be given. It was very much a part of the law. We see the tithe before the Mosaic law, but we see the tithe as part of the Mosaic law. Does anybody know what this is? A yardstick. And when you were kids, it was also known as a weapon, right? So this is a yardstick. And now on this yardstick, how many inches are on the yardstick? Anybody know? 36. How many feet is that? So what if my yardstick was 38? Or if my yardstick was 27? Would it be a real yardstick or would it be a modified yardstick? Because one thing we know is this, is that a yardstick is always what? 36 inches. A yardstick is always three feet. If you make it less, you've modified. If you make it more, you've modified. At the end of the day, this is three feet. No matter how you turn it, how you shape it, 36 inches, three feet. This is the standard of measurement that we never get away from. Amen? So in the Old Testament law, what was the standard that God gave Israel about their money? The tithe. Giving in 10% was the standard in the Old Testament under the law that they were to give their money to the Lord. And if you think about it, now there, there's definitely some practical reasons they were to give the tithe. And we'll talk about those in a minute as far as where they took the tithe. But I want you to know there were some spiritual reasons. When you read the Old Testament, you under, begin to understand why God told them the tithe. Why they were to give the tithe, not just from a practical standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. When they were to give a tithe, it was protect them from the greed that rages in their hearts. Right? You give back to God to protect yourself from the greed that rages. Also, you give to God as a reflection of the love that you have for him. And so I know there's some practical reasons they were to tithe, and we'll get to those. But the point is this, is that there was a spiritual reason too. It's like, listen, does God need, did God need Israel's money? Does God need your money? No, he does not. He is God. He could speak it and it happened. If you don't believe me, go back to Genesis. Ten times he said, let it be, and it was. None of us have that kind of authority. He doesn't need it, but the reason God instituted this was not only just for the practical, but the spiritual reason of knowing this, that we are all oftentimes driven by greed. We want more. And if we give, we're fighting that temptation for greed. And when we give, listen, it is an act of worship. I'm weird. I'm just going to tell you. I still write a check. I still write a check. Some of you are like, you're online people. That's great. That's awesome. But for me, I know my heart. I need to physically put it in the basket and say, Lord, this is yours. See, the tithe spiritually was not only to protect against greed, it was an act of worship. Now, that leads us to this question, and we're going to get seriously messy for a few moments in this. There was a tithe before the Mosaic Law, there was a tithe as part of the Mosaic Law. Now what I want to talk about thirdly is giving for the New Testament believer. That's us. Giving for us. Where do we fit into this? And I want to turn to several passages. First of all, Matthew 23, 23 says this. If you're still awake, so I'm still with you, Doug. Okay, good, because this is good stuff. Here it is. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and deal and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. And faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, the only compliment that Jesus ever gave the Pharisees were that they were givers. They were tithers. Now, in this particular case, the Pharisees obviously thought if they gave a tenth, that was enough to be right with God. And they didn't have to worry about justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus calls them out and goes, listen, you, you did great with this whole tithing thing, but you neglected the weightier things of justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus is rebuking them, but don't forget this. He's also you know, basically saying you did right by tithing, but you're blowing it in these areas. And then Matthew twenty two twenty one. 21 
It says this. They said, Caesar. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And help me read it. And to God, the things that are God's. Now, follow me for a moment. Oftentimes, I'll have this conversation. And it's, I love these conversations. Because I love the fact that we all want to grow deeper in our faith. Oftentimes, I'll hear this. Okay, Doug. Jesus does not advocate the tithe in the New Testament. Well, he complimented it. Not complimented he told the Pharisees they were partially right, right? I mean, there was something they did right. They screwed up a lot of stuff, believe you me. But they got that right. And then in this passage here, in Matthew twenty two twenty one, there's this idea that Jesus does reissue this notion of the tithe. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to who? Give to God what belongs to God. Well, that means there had to have been an understanding in the New Testament among Jewish believers of what belonged to God. Now, what would they have understood belonged to God? The tithe, right? So he said, listen, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to the IRS what belongs to the IRS. We love that one, don't we? But you give to God what belongs to God. So even these first group of people following Jesus understood that giving to God what belongs to God has a kind of an ideology that there's a tithe. There's a part. Somewhere they got this idea, what belongs to God? What's the tithe? We know that going way back. Now, here's where some of you that are smarter than I am are thinking. You ready? What I'm saying is this. Jesus complimented the Pharisees for giving the tithe and rebuked them for how everything else they screwed up. Jesus here in Matthew twenty two twenty one does reissue this notion of the tithe by saying something belongs to God. Make sure you give it to God, which was what would be the tithe. But some of you are way smarter than me. You're asking this question. Okay, Doug, if what you're saying is right, the tithe was part of the law, right? So are we now living, are we under the law? And the answer is no, we're not. See, there's some of you in the room today going, okay, listen, Doug, I believe with all of my heart that when you read the Bible, that all we're supposed to give is 10%, that belongs to the Lord, the tithe, over, done with, don't talk about it anymore. Then there's some of you in the room going, okay, I don't think that. I think there's more to it than that. I'm going to blow your mind. You ready? I think you're both right. I think you're both right. Now, listen, what Jesus does here, he advocates this notion of giving a tithe, but we're not under the law. Here's what I mean. We are not under the power of, of the law. What was the power of the law? The power of the law was this. You must keep the law completely to be in a right standing with God. That was the power of the law. The power of the law was this. You must keep it to be in right standing with God. Listen to me. We do not keep the law to be in right standing with God. Jesus perfectly fulfilled that law. The way that we are in right standing with God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Has everybody got that? That's how we are in right standing with God. We are not in right standing because we keep the law. However, everybody say however. Amen. However, the law paints a beautiful picture, listen, of what holiness looked like. Because if it didn't, then wives, go covet your neighbor's wife. Our husband, go covet your neighbor's wife. Go murder somebody. Go steal. I mean, go do any of the Ten Commandments. Break them. I, it didn't matter. I mean, if, if, if the law didn't paint a picture of what holiness looks like, then, and we're not under the power of the law, just go do whatever you want to do. Well, that's not true. I mean, you even see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Many are talking about this last week. He even reinstitutes this idea of keeping the moral side of the law. Love your neighbor. Take care of people. Honor God. Love God. Love people. And here's my, my point with this. Jesus does reissue this idea of giving to God what belongs to God, which would be a tithe. But it's not because we're under the law anymore. 
We don't give our money, our tenth, to be in right standing with God. We give it because it's a picture of what holiness looks like. All the law of the Old Testament, if you were to put all 600 some odd laws together and you were to look at every characteristic law, here's what you'd find out. That's what it looks like to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. We are not bound by the law anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. What gives us right standing is a relationship with him. But keeping the Old Testament ideas and the laws is still a picture of what holiness looks like. However, in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't leave it there. Jesus raises the bar. And Luke chapter 12, look at this. Luke chapter 12, it's a story of the guy who had all this money, and he had so much money, he built bigger barns, right? He built bigger barns, he didn't have enough room, and kept building bigger barns and bigger barns. And then at the end of the day, he says, tonight your life is going to be taken from you. And it's a parable, and this guy dies. And then at the end of the parable, here's what Jesus says. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not what? Rich toward God. Now, listen to me, follow me. Jesus reissues the idea of the standard. But he says, listen, go on, listen. That's just a bar. I'm going to raise the bar. I'm less, listen, I'm less focused in the New Testament. You have to, you cannot deny this. In the New Testament, Jesus was less focused on a percentage as he was on the condition of our hearts. He was less focused on a number as he was. Well, I want you to be rich toward God. Uh, this is a bar. Yeah, this is the standard. Yeah, I'm reissuing that I want to make sure you give to God what belongs to God. But what I really want you to do, I want you to be rich toward God. I want you to give generously to God. In fact, if I were to stand here today and tell you that the notion of giving, whether it be our money, of our time, of our energy, is that we're just supposed to give 10%, I would not be giving you a beautiful picture of what the New Testament institutes. Because if you know in Scripture, it says this, Trent, if you've got two coats and somebody's in need, guess what? Give them one. How, how about percentage is that? 50. Okay, Zacchaeus, after he got right with God and said, I'm going to give fourfold back to everybody I stole from. And then he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. How about percentage is that one? 50. And then when Jesus calls disciples out, he said, listen, I want you to follow me, but only 10% of the time. Is that what he said? He said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's a hundred percent of the time, right? Now, I want you to write this down because this is my point. This is the point that I want to bring great clarity to you. Are you ready? Here it is. In the New Testament, when it comes to giving, we see a shift. In the Old Testament, it was about giving the tithe out of obligation. In the New Testament, it's about giving as an expression of our gratitude. And the Old Testament, it's about giving the tithe because I'm obligated. And the New Testament, it's about giving as an expression of the gratitude. Is the 10% still a good standard to work off of? Is it still a standard that Jesus reissues? Absolutely. But we are encouraged to be rich toward God, not just go to a standard and go, well, I've met the mark, I'm good. Well, what kind of heart is that? So here's my point. When it comes to giving, don't be the legalist in the room. 10%, that's it. But don't be irresponsible either going, well, if I, I just give whatever I want to and that's okay. No, 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 no. Don't be legalistic and don't be irresponsible. I was studying. I've read every conservative theologian I get my hands on the last month. And I got a quote here I want to read to you from John Piper. Now, if you know anything about John Piper, when he talks, it takes me like six times to read it to get it. And so this is the most dumbed down quote I could find of John Piper about this issue. And I got it the first time. Here's what he says. 
The best way that I know how to capture the spirit of the New Testament on generosity and giving is to simply say this. It's not how much must I give, but how much dare I keep. Not shall I tithe, but how much money that I hold and trust for Christ can I take for my private use? The financial issue in the church today is not tithing, but exorbitant lifestyles. The question is not, can I afford to tithe, but can I justify the lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? And behind that question, do I love uh, do I love to use God's money to spread justice, mercy, and spiritual hope in the world, or do I prefer to embezzle his money to purchase more and more for my own personal comfort? Now, here's what I want you to know before we move on, and I know I've labored this. When it comes to the tithe, Jesus reissues the standard, give the 10%, but he raises the bar. I want you to be rich toward God. It's no longer about giving a percentage because you're obligated to. I want you to give out of the generosity of your heart. 10% should be a standard, and we should strive to be rich toward God. Let's not be legalistic, but let's not be irresponsible either. And then he says this, bring it where? You're like, are you ever going to go back to Scripture? Here we go. He says this in Malachi 3. He says, bring the whole tithe where? Where do we to take it? The storehouse, real quickly. In the Old Testament, the storehouse was the local synagogue. It was the local place where they stored things up. Now, what was it for practically? I talked spiritually or practically. What was the tithe for? Well, first of all, it took care of the needs of the temple or the synagogue. It took care of the ministry of the temple. And it took care of the people that ran the temple, the Levites. The Levites, I worked the 12 tribes. They did not get an allotment of land. And God always designed for them to be workers in the temple, worship leaders, and they were going to be funded by everybody else. That was practically why they were to bring the money to the storehouse. And when you read the New Testament, there's no doubt about it. And I don't have time to go through every verse, but I want to say this. When you come to the New Testament, there's no doubt the way God has positioned us to fund the local church is through the giving of the saints to participate in that church. That's how the church, that's how the church is funded. In fact, I was, I was studying and trying to find another good quote in Piper. I just couldn't come up with one. It was just way too much for me. So I read it came across Tony Evans. You may know who Tony Evans is, one of the, the greatest Southern Baptist preachers in the world today. And here's what he said, which so resonated with me, talking about bringing the tithe to the storehouse. Because some people would say, I can give a little bit here, a little bit there. Hey, that's between you and God. That's between you and God, and you've got to check your heart. But here's what he said, and uses this as food for thought. He said, you don't go through Burger King and order a meal and then go pay it at McDonald's. Think about that. You don't go through Burger King and get your meal and go to McDonald's and pay them. Where you are getting spiritually fed and grown, that's where you give your money so you can grow that local body of believers. And I thought, how profound is that? And at the end of the day, he says this, when you bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, here's the promise. Look with me in verse 10 again. He says, bring the full tithe to the storehouse, and there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to rest, says the, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I do not open the floodgates of heaven for you and pour down for blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so it will not destroy the fruits of your soul. In other words, if you will bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, if you will come and you will give and you'll be rich toward me and you will honor me, listen, I will blow your socks off with blessing. It's the only time in Scripture where God says, Put me to the test. Because what we know is when it says, do not test the Lord our God, right? The only time in Scripture when God says, put me to the test, is when it comes to money. You know why God would say it? Because he knows what he's going to do if we're faithful. He knows what he's going to do if we truly honor and steward it and give generously to him. He knows what he's going to do. You know what it is? He's going to open the floodgates of heaven, and he's going to blow your mind with blessings. He's going to protect you. He's going to be there for you. He's going to guide you. 
And so as you think about giving, the thing that, here's the simple truth of giving and the tithe. It's this, is that everything belongs to God. Amen? Amen. Everything belongs to God. And when I'm faithful to steward what God has entrusted me with and give out of the gratitude of my heart, he will open the floodgates of heaven and I will experience his blessing and his protection in my life. Now, when as I talk to people, here's what I have discovered over 29 years of ministry. Sometimes people don't give because they've never thought about it. Even that's obedience? It is. That's an expression of my love for the Lord? It is. You know how I know that? Because he demonstrated it, first of all, by giving us the most important gift he could give, which is what? Salvation through his son. Right? So it is. That some of us don't give because we don't think we have margin for it. We don't have enough left over. Well, come back next week. So I'm going to unpack that for you in a very exciting way. We're going to talk about some really fun stuff next week, so I don't want you to miss next week because it's going to be part two of today. Now, some of you, you're like, nope, I'm definitely not coming back. Come back next week. It's going to be fun. We're going to do some things you never thought of before. But that's, that's it because we think we have no margin, and we've got to rethink that, and we're going to talk about that next week. Then some people don't give. You know why? Because they don't make a plan to. Here's what I know about my income and your income. If you don't budget, the world continues to suck the money out of your bank account every day, does it not? Every day. I mean, my, my oldest son, who's 21 years old, uh, lives in Missouri, and he was calling me one day. He had to get some tires for his car, and now he's on his own, so I just get to enjoy it from a distance going, hey, hope that works out for you, son, you know? <laughs> and I don't have to invest in anything. It's so great now. And, uh, and he called me like three days in a row. And no kidding, three days in a row, a different tire went flat. And three days in a row, when he took it to get it fixed, it wasn't the tire could be fixed. It was the sidewall was busted. So we had to buy three brand new tires three days in a row. He had to buy one tire one day, one tire the next day. And he's like, Dad, I said, I'm just telling you, man, it's like, I, it's like money. If it's not growing on trees, I don't have enough to pay for all this stuff. I'm like, absolutely. And that's the way the world seems to attack us. And if we don't have a plan to give, guess what? We won't. Here's what I know about my life and Sonia's life. When we give... Give back to the Lord. It protects us from the greed that rages in our hearts. And we give back to the Lord. It's our way of supporting this local body of believers. Because I don't know if you know this, but everything given to East Campus stays for East Campus. And when we give back to the Lord, it reminds us that God is the owner of everything. And we give back to the Lord. It is an expression of our love for him. Now, here's my prayer for you. First of all, that you would cool your jets. Some of you are like, I've never heard that. Go back and study scripture. Jesus reissues this idea. But it's not because we're under the power of the law anymore. It's because holiness and the law is a picture of what holiness looks like. And so it should be part of our lives. It's no longer about a percentage out of obligation. It's about giving and being rich toward God out of the gratitude of our hearts for what he's done for us. And my prayer is that today as you leave, that you have, that you have now in a tools to tell you what a biblical approach to giving really is. And the second of all, my prayer is this, is that you would leave here today committed to being a steward of what God has entrusted you with and not an owner. Now, as I was praying last night, sitting there thinking about today, my app, this app I have on my phone that sends me scripture every day. Send me a perfect scripture for today, and I want to share it with you. It's Proverbs 21, 2, and it says this. Every man 
is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. See, no matter what you think about giving, when you came in the room, you think you're right. Let Scripture tell you what's right. And ask God to examine your own heart. And so today, if you're that person that doesn't give anything, would you start somewhere? Would you say, Lord, you check my heart today? I need to give something. I need to show gratitude somehow. And if you're that person that's a random giver, you're like, okay, I got, I got like 10 bucks. I'm going to throw it in there. Hey, would you be a percentage giver? Here's why. Because percentage giving adds a rhythm discipline to your life. It means you have a plan for giving. And then if you're that person in the room like the Pharisees and you're faithful to give 10% all the time, would you pray about what it means to be rich toward God? I'm just asking you today, would you just realize that you may be right in your own mind, but God is the way of hearts. And would you ask God to weigh your heart this morning on this issue of giving? I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand with me. If you just close your eyes and just bow your heads just for a moment, I'm going to pray for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just pray. God, I thank you for today. And God, I know that as we go through this, sometimes it feels like we're drinking water out of a fire hydrant. It's fast. It's, it's a lot. We need time to process. But God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit in this place today. I pray that where maybe emotions want to bow up, that you calm us now. Where people have uncertainty, that you would bring clarity. That you would remind us that in the, in the New Testament, we see Jesus make a beautiful shift. He wasn't denying the need to give that tenth. He, re, he reissued that. But what he's concerned with is the condition of our heart. He wants us to be rich toward you. Not be tied to a percent because we're obligated, but to give out of the gratitude of our heart. And so God, I pray today, as Proverbs tells us, we may think we're right in our own eyes, but you weigh our hearts. Lord, would you correct our wrong thinking if we're wrong? Would you begin to work in our hearts, Lord? And for those who give nothing, would you encourage them to give something to show the gratitude and the love they have for you? And then, God, for those that just randomly give, would you challenge them to be disciplined and regular percentage givers to add that discipline to their life? And then for those in the room that are faithful to give percentage-wise, would you challenge them with what it means to really be rich toward you? God, I love you. I know this is a hot topic. But I believe if we're going to grow in our faith and if we're going to trust you, we've got to know exactly what your word teaches us. We need to understand it. And we need to make a commitment to live by it. So God, speak to us. Check our hearts this morning. And may our hearts and our decisions and our convictions rest on you and your word. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're just going to sing. And I just want the song to be a reflection of our heart. Lord, my heart is yours. You check it out. You know where I'm at. We all walked in that room with an idea. And maybe today God wrecked our hearts for a moment. Maybe today God confirmed it. Or maybe today we just went around our head through a wall because we're not sure where we're at. Would you just ask God to do work in your heart right now? That he would give you clarity where there's confusion? That he would give you certainty where there seems to be no certainty? Because one of the greatest ways we can express our gratitude to our Heavenly Father for the gift that he gave us is by giving back to him. So as the Lord leads you, if you need to come pray, come pray. If not, may this song 
be our response this morning.